Would you join your spirit with mine as I read this prayer of illumination and trust the Holy Spirit to take it to the throne of God for us? Thank you in advance. Holy God, author of life, through the power of your Holy Spirit, may we hear and understand what your word has to tell us today. Amen. You can say amen today. The reading, as Peter said earlier, for today is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put your Lord to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Amen. My family is here today. There they are. There's my mom and my dad and my brother and his beautiful wife. Say hi to them when you, yeah. Yeah, they're good people. I'm glad they got to come today. Uh, we were discussing sermon throughout the week with Josh and what we wanted to do and, and how I should uh, introduce, okay, we, we're, we're in Chapelwood, right? We love a sermon series. Uh, and he said, how, how should we introduce the new sermon series? Um, I like to think of me and Josh as both sort of being magicians, except we're different kinds of magicians. Josh is the person that just kind of brings the hat and then pulls the rabbit out of the hat and you're really amazed. Um, I'm the person that says, here, I have a hat, and I'm going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, and then I pull the rabbit out of the hat, and you're still amazed. So Josh had told me uh, to, to introduce the sermon series, don't do it until maybe the midpoint of the sermon, you know, do a real smooth transition, and then just sort of peek the sermon series in there. I'm more ultra clear, I need everyone to be on the same page as me, so I'm just going to say, we're starting a new sermon series today. <laughs> It's based off of a book called Henry Nouwen, In the Name of Jesus. There it is. So, new sermon series, Henry Nouwen, In the Name of Jesus. Hi, Josh. Hope everything's going well. Um, let, let me start off with the question. Who in here feels like they're connected to the world? You can raise your hands. I mean, who in here feels connected to the world? I mean, we live in a time of, of, of so much connection, right? I mean, we, 
we in 2019 literally have the world at our fingertips. We have all this social media and all this technology. I mean, we are so connected. When I think about life in the year 2019, I think about that great line in the musical Hamilton. Look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. We really are lucky to be alive right now. Things are, things are happening so fast. Whether you're 20 years old or mature, wherever you are in life, it's great to be alive right now. Our brains are processing things fast, faster than they ever have before. We have so much technology, so much uh, advancement. It's, it's just a great time to be present on this earth. It's a great time to feel like we're connected. Now, let me ask you this. Does anyone in this room sometimes feel like we in 2019 are a little too connected. Yeah. Has anyone in here ever said something along the lines of, uh, those darn kids and their cell phone, and then you looked down and started to play on your cell phone as well? Um, does anybody in here have a friend um, who, who really feels like it's their job through their social media platforms to uh, give the news. They, every time something bad or something wrong happens in the world, they take it upon themselves to, to get on the computer and start typing away and, and give their two cents, give their opinion. My generation, we call that uh, wokeness. You're, you're, you're woke. You're aware of the fact that there's bad that goes on in the world. Being woke and being aware, it doesn't care if you, if you do anything about what's going on in the world, just as long as you're aware and as long as you're woke, you're of a place of connection. You're relevant to what's going on. Um, does anyone in here find it hard to turn off the screen? Does anyone in here find it hard to watch the news at night? Has anyone in here said, I'm done watching the news? I, I can't do it anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of us out there. Connection is important. We as human beings long to feel connected to the world. We want to feel like we're connected to what's going on in society and culture. So, you know, we, we dress up a certain way so that we feel like we're relevant to what's going on, that, that we feel like we're alive. We want to feel connected to our family and to our friends and to our spouse. We want to be relevant in this life. We want to be relevant to other people's lives. But this desire that we have to always be on top of it in terms of being connected, it has its downside too. I think of a, an, an interview that I heard about three years ago. Um, anyone, I'm gonna make another musical reference. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen, musical came out a couple years ago. Ben Platt gave an interview. He played Evan Hansen on Broadway. And he talked a little bit because the, the musical is kind of talking about our struggle in a world with so much connection to feel connected to each other. He says, it's so great, we have all this social media and you know, we're always online and we're always promoting ourselves, but behind all that, we, we struggle to feel connected to our own family members. We struggle to be connected to what's going on in our, in, in our, within our souls. We, we look on social media and everything is so beautiful and perfect and everyone's living this charmed life, but underneath, things are difficult. Underneath, we're really just human beings. The spiritual answer to this problem of wanting to feel connected to the world, of wanting to be relevant, of wanting to be living in the here and now, is to disconnect from the world and reconnect with God. Jesus was really good at this. 
he was good at a lot of things, but during his life and during this ministry, in the midst of all, of all the chaos and all the clutter and all the, the crazy events that took place, Jesus would go and he'd pray. He'd make God a priority in his life. He would plug out of the world and he'd plug back in to God. Okay, when I look at our scripture this morning, I see Jesus, and let me say this, this is a really weird scripture, if you were actually, if you really read it, it's a very strange scripture. There's, there's three things that I notice. Number one, Jesus, being led by the Spirit, goes into the wilderness by himself, knowing that he's going to be tempted by the devil. And, and that's a really interesting motif that goes on throughout the, you know, sort of the entirety of the Bible. There's this idea in the Bible that in order to have a spiritual experience, in order to be connected with God, we have to get away from the world. We have to get away from civilization. We have to go into the desert. We have to go into the wilderness. We need to be by ourselves. Some of the best things that have happened in the Bible happened in solitude. Fellow introverts rejoice, right? I mean, you don't have to be around people all the time to be doing something good for God. So we see Jesus going into the wilderness, knowing he's going to be tempted by the devil, and what's his first move? He's not going to eat or drink for 40 days, knowing he's about to go into battle. When I played football in high school, we ate, we carb-loaded, we drank water like there was about to be a famine. Because we knew on Friday, we're going to need those extra carbs. We're going to need that hydration to get us through the battle. But Jesus' first instinct is to fast. And it's not, it's not in the text, but it's sort of implicit in the text because we know from reading the Bible that fasting goes right along with prayer. So Jesus' first move, knowing he's about to enter into the spiritual battle, know he's, knowing he's going to be tempted by Satan, is to throw himself into spiritual discipline. He's going to fast. He's going to pray, knowing he's about to go into a spiritual battle. And then the third thing that's weird to me about this text, and it's something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable with, I'm going to say Satan a lot here within the next three or four minutes. And, and to be quite honest with you, I don't really like that because saying Satan as many times as I'm about to say it makes me feel like I'm preaching a sermon during the Salem witch trials. <laughs> and it, it's just weird, right? Because we think so much about who God is and, and who's the person of Jesus, but we, we rarely ever as Christians, I think, step back to say, who exactly is Satan? Who is this devil character? He's very real in the story. He's incredibly present. So let me just say this. What Satan represents is all of evil put into a person. It's, it's really evil personified uh, in this narrative. So we have Jesus, God incarnate, the, the perfect example of what's good and what's true and what's, what's righteous, willingly going into the desert to be tempted by the complete and total uh, personification of evil. So we have this, this first temptation. Uh, Jesus, who's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, right? I mean, he's hungry. Uh, the devil presents him with stones, and he says, turn these stones into bread, right? I, I mean, it's, it's such a simple temptation, right? I mean, just provide for yourself. In the Bible, bread represents life. Come on, Jesus, you've been, you've been having the spiritual discipline that you've been doing. You've been completely disconnected with the world. Why don't you give yourself a little life? Come back into life. Give yourself some bread. But Jesus responds with Scripture because Jesus knows his Bible. He says, 
man does not live by bread alone, but by every, mouth, uh, every word from the mouth of God. So we have this really sort of simple temptation, and now uh, the devil's going to turn up the heat, right? He, he's going to put him into a, a little bit more of a complicated temptation. So what the devil does is he takes him uh, to the holy city, to the top of the temple. Now, in, in the Judaic world, the top of the temple would represent uh, pretty much the height of political and religious power. It would be like the president of the United States and the Pope combined. And, and the devil says, Jesus, throw yourself down because he's the son of God, right? Throw yourself down and his angels, the, he'll command his angels to lift you back up. Satan quotes a psalm there. Isn't that interesting? Satan knows his Bible too. Sounds like Satan is pulling a Jesus. He's quoting scripture now. Satan sounds like he might be a student at the seminary. But then... We see Jesus saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, the difference with Satan and Jesus is that while Satan knows the Bible and, and, can, and can fool us into believing uh, false scriptural claims, Jesus knows and understands the Bible. He gets what the Bible is really saying, so he's able to, to ward off of that temptation just off of his scriptural knowledge. And then finally, we, we have this last temptation. He, he takes Jesus to this high mountain, and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, and he says, all of this I will give you if you would just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no, away with you, saying, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil leaves, and angels come to get Jesus, and it's over. There's something very interesting happening in that last temptation, right? I mean, you, you have Satan who, who he can't get Jesus to turn stones into bread. Okay, you, you won't even accept uh, political and religious power. Okay, well then why don't I give you all authority over the earth? But it's still not enough. And notice what happens there. At that point, it's over. Satan flees. Satan doesn't go take Jesus up into outer space and shows him the cosmos and the stars and all the planets and, and, and galaxies and the entire encompassing of the universe and says, Jesus, I can give you this as well. The only thing that Satan can offer Jesus is the world as it is. Not, not, not a vision for the world, not a way that the world could maybe be different. All he can do is offer Jesus the world as it is. Friends, that's what sin does to us. The, the only thing that sin can offer us, the only thing that, that our temptations can offer us is the world as it is as it is in the temporary space that we occupy it in right now. It can't offer us a plan for our lives. It can't offer us any hope for the future. It can't offer us a vision for how you and me could be and how the world could be. All it can offer us is the world as it is right now. And the reason why Satan can't offer Jesus all the stars and all the galaxies and all the planets is because it's not his to give away. He doesn't have that kind of authority. We see Jesus in this story through his spiritual discipline, through his fasting, through his prayer, through his reading and knowledge of the Bible, overcome the temptations of the world. Let's look a little bit in this Henry Nouwen book, because we have to plug this for the series, right? In the name of, ha, 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 in the name of Jesus by Henry Nouwen. But Henry Nouwen has a, a very similar experience to Christ. Henry Nouwen, uh, at the time in which, before this book was written, was 
a priest. He was uh, an accomplished author. He was a theology professor. He was somebody who in the, the professional Christian world, in the ministry world, was connected. He was relevant. But in the book, we see Nowen plug out. He plugs out from the world. He, 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 get, he, he, get, he goes away. He goes to work in a facility for folk who have uh, intellectual disability. And he's kind of, he's put in this temptation situation, right? Because he's stripped of all of his worldly ties. His resume doesn't matter. Uh, his accomplishments up to that point don't matter. His name doesn't matter. It's all rendered useless, right? And in the book, Henry Nowen writes, the first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking or disliking me had absolutely nothing to do with any of the many useful things I had done up until then. Since nobody could read my books, the books could not impress anyone, and since most of them never went to school my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, Harvard, it didn't provide a significant introduction. Now it goes on to say, I was suddenly faced with my naked self, open for affirmations and rejections, hugs and punches, smiles and tears, all dependent upon simply how I was perceived at the moment. I imagine that for a second. Imagine coming somewhere where, where your past really doesn't matter. In some ways, that, that's a good thing, but at the same time, if you've been connected, if you had a place of relevance, it can be scary to, to, to strip yourself of all of that and to go into the world and have people judge you only on who you are at the moment. And, and, and now when really struggles with this, he struggles with giving up his relevance, with, with turning uh, to spiritual discipline again. And Nowen's response to this temptation to be connected, this temptation to be relevant, is prayer. It's spiritual discipline, just like Jesus. Uh, Nowen says, through contemplative prayer, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another and from becoming strangers to our own heart and God's heart. Contemplative prayer keeps us at home, rooted and safe even when we are on the road, moving from place to place and often surrounded by sounds of violence and war. Contemplative prayer deepens in us the knowledge that we are already free, that we have already found a place to dwell, that we already belong to God, even though everything and everyone around us keeps suggesting the opposite. Nowen is smart enough to understand that it's, it's through giving up our place in the temporary world, in, in just the here and now, and taking a place in God's story, a story that goes through eternity, that centers us in this life, that gets us away from the temptation of the world to always be connected, to always be obsessed with relevance, and to go into discipline and to seek God. Because unlike an ever-changing world, we believe that we have a consistent God. But many in here would ask, why in our culture, why in a culture that prides itself on always changing, always looking for the new thing, always running a mile a minute to try to find something else, why should we pride ourselves on discipline and traditions? All right, let me ask this. How many Aggies do I have in the room? <laughs> yeah, you can say whoop. Think about that for a second. There's something so, and a and M's weird, right? I mean, I have a brother who goes to A&M. It's kind of a weird place. If you go to a football game there, I'm not going to trash talk A&M on my last Sunday at Chapelwood. Don't worry. <laughs> but 
but you have people, 100,000 people who can gather in a stadium and say chants and, and, and sing uh, the, the fight song and the war hymn and watch a marching band and these kind of traditions that have been going on for decades and their families are connected in this sort of uh, cycle of being a student at Texas A&M. And it's a really attractive thing, and that's for all of college football, right? I mean, you know, people are still obsessed with Bevo. You still have thousands of people who go to Lubbock on a hot uh, August night to go watch a masked rider go through on a black horse, you know? It's, there's something weird in our culture because we pride ourselves on always changing, on always looking for the new thing, but when it comes to college football, and really when it comes to sports in general, we pride ourselves on keeping it the same. We pride ourselves on tradition. We like the fact that, that all kinds of different people can, can come into a space from all different walks of life and for a few hours agree on something. Agree on the fact that we want our team to win. Let me ask you this. What if our culture viewed Christianity the same way it views college football? Think about that for a second. What if our culture said, those Christians, there's something different about them. You know, they throw themselves into prayer and, and, and into fasting, into all these spiritual disciplines, and they, and they go out and they try to help their neighbor, and, and they spend time together in community, and they do Bible study, and they do outreach. And yeah, it's a little weird, but there's something so attractive about it. There's something so attractive about in a world where everybody, at every single moment, it seems like everyone's disagreeing. It's so attractive that they can all come together in a space on a Sunday morning and sing songs, and pray together, and and do communion, and baptize, and be together and agree on something. What if the culture viewed viewed us the same way that it does college football? Let me say this. Um, We as Christians, in order to make the culture recognize who we are, in order to, to make people say, you know what, maybe Christianity, there is something to it. Maybe there is something about gathering a pl- in a place to worship together and about committing your lives to something that's bigger than yourself. We can do that, but we don't have to make God relevant in our culture to do that. We just have to make God relevant in our own lives. And how can we do that? There's a great line in the musical Carousel. It was written way back in the 40s. It's kind of moralistic. Does anyone know what it is? I think maybe, okay, a few people know Carousel. Okay. There's a great line in the script of Carousel that says, as long as one person on this earth remembers you, it's not over. Friends, that's why we gathered in this space this morning. We gather today to worship God, to come to be together, and, and to, to, to say, God, you're relevant in my life. We're here to say that, God, I remember you. God, I remember what you've done for me. I, I remember uh, your son, Jesus. God, I come here today and I give thanks. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring hope back into my life. Thank you for giving me your presence in the dark times. God, I remember, I remember you. And we don't just say, God, I remember. We say, God, it's not over. Yes, God, I give thanks for the things that you've done in the past, but God, I'm also really excited about what's going to be happening in the future. God, I can't wait for your Holy Spirit to come into me and to move through me and to move through my life and in the lives of my, my children and my family and my friends and my coworkers and our church and in our community. God, I can't wait for the opportunity to raise a generation in faith. God, it's not over. 
And how can we, as people, if we do that within our own lives, how can we allow other people who maybe not be church, maybe have never even stepped foot in a church in their entire life, people who don't have the same faith, how can we bring them in? How can we invite them in to our house, into God's house? There's another great line. This is the last musical reference I'm going to make, I promise. There's a great line in the musical Hades Town, and, and it's kind of this, this refrain that's repeated throughout the course of the musical, and it says, show us the way so that we can see. Show us the way uh, so we can believe. Show us the way the world could be. What does Christianity have to offer right now in 2019? It offers us the same vision that Jesus provided for us. It offers us the same vision of the way that the world could be. And, and how do we share that vision with, with those around us? It really comes in, in one form, but it breaks off into two. It starts with just your witness. It's your example witness. It's how you live your life. It's how you choose to love, you know, uh, in, in spite of people maybe not treating you well all the time. It's, it's your choice to forgive when, when in our culture today, forgiveness is really not a virtue anymore. It, when you do that, when you manifest God in your life, when you try to take upon yourself the character of Jesus, what will happen is this. People will notice. They'll say, what's so different about you? And what's so different about you? And what's so different about you that, that you can love people, that you can forgive people? What's so different about you that your life is filled with hope and with purpose and that you feel like every day you have meaning? And they're going to want that for themselves and they're going to start a conversation with you or you can start a conversation with them. And when you do that, you can go into your verbal witness. You can talk to them about how your relationship with Jesus Christ has changed your life, how he's renewed you with hope and with meaning and with purpose. And you can tell them that same grace, that same love, that same forgiveness that was given to me is available for you as well. You can share with them Christ's vision for the world. You can show them the way the world the way us human beings could be. Here's why I think Jesus was able to ward off all the temptations that, that he faced in this, in this scene right here. Because in the midst of this trial, Jesus remembers God. His first move when going into the wilderness is to fast and pray to seek conversation, and to seek time with God. And when, when Satan comes to tempt him, tempt him, the first thing that he says is Scripture. Jesus remembers who God is. And the thing that leads Jesus through this temptation, that, that allows Jesus to, to look at a world wrapped in, wrapped in sin and to, to give love, what allows Jesus to break bread and sit at a table with you and with me and with all of us, is the fact that Jesus never lost his vision of the way the world could be. The way that you and I could be. Here in a few moments, we're going to sing a song. Uh, it's one of my favorite hymns. It's Here I Am, Lord. And I, I think it's appropriate for today because the point of coming to church, the point of sitting here in worship and, and proclaiming God's uh, God's a presence in our lives is to say, God, you are relevant in my life. It's to say, God, here I am, Lord. Use me. Work through me. Do something great with my life. And help me do something good to other people as well. It's saying, God, 
I remember who you are. God, I acknowledge that it's not over. And God, I want to live in the vision that your son Jesus Christ gave to the world. You know, I was thinking about it the other day, and, and you know, for years it was sort of hypothesized that um, once we became more technologically advanced, once we became more educated, religion would die off. It, it wouldn't be relevant anymore. We wouldn't have churches. We wouldn't need God. But you know what? I look around, and we're in a pretty technologically advanced society, right? I, I look out, and I see a lot of educated people in this congregation. I think Chapelwood is a good example that that hypothesis was incorrect. And I think it's because that in spite of all the changes, in spite of wanting to live a world that's obsessed with being connected and obsessed with being relevant, we all came here today to say, God, the most relevant thing in my life is you. Let's keep doing that. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.